Hi, this is Bruce Watson from Big Country, and you're listening to the Great Divide podcast. Tune in. Okay, everyone, welcome to episode 21 of the Great Divide podcast. It's been a while, but we are now back. Sorry for the delay. We've had a lot going on in our personal lives and professional lives, and it's just been one of those times where we just had to take a little break from everything. But we are now back, and hopefully we'll be into a more regular um, release schedule. But um, we just had to take a little break for the last couple of months, and a lot has happened since then. Um, a lot has happened for me as as far as some stuff that I've got to do with Big Country that was really cool. A lot has happened with just the fact that the band has toured America for the first time, and it's a long tour. It's, it's, I think right now it's kind of just at the halfway point, really. And um, I think this is even a longer tour than the Buffalo Skinners tour, isn't it? It's fine. I don't think that was three months. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think they toured that long over here for the Buffalo Skinners tour. If so, I'd known you'd ask me, I would have checked it out. So, but I don't think so, no. Yeah, I should have asked you because I knew you'd have the answer for that. But uh, yeah, I can't imagine that they did. And um, it, it's been a really interesting time for American fans because, as those of you who are Americans who are listening know, um, and, and I'm saying this as if I'm looking for the sympathy, but my co-host here has never had the opportunity to see the band. Americans have at least had a couple of opportunities. Um, hopefully they'll get to Norway or, or the surrounding area at some point soon, so Svein can see them. I really hope so. Uh, it's definitely worth seeing, but... Yeah, this has been the first time they've played here really since the Buffalo Skinners tour 20 years ago, with the exception of the one the one-off show they did in Nashville in 1999. And um, it's been very cool. It's been very cool to hear a lot of the messages that we've gotten through Speakpipe from some of you who have seen the shows and sent us your reviews. They've been great, and they all seem to have a common theme to them, where it's very emotional for the people who are going to see them, who who either have never seen them before or who just haven't seen them in, you know, decades. So it's been really cool. And by all accounts, the shows are going very well. And I think the, I think the attendance, um, I I can't give specific numbers, but judging from what I've seen with my own experience here in Leesburg and then from other people's people giving reports is that the shows have been very well attended for the most part. And I think the worst you could say about a show's attendance is that it was, maybe like decent attendance and you know i don't know about you but i think that's i think that's a success for for a band that has gone through so much change and a band who has not been here for 20 years and of course Stuart adamson's death and then to have tony butler leave the band and to have um such a new uh vibe about it i think it's amazing that they really are still getting a good response and and good turnout and some of the shows have even sold out so I'm pleased with that. You got to be pleased with that, and um, the fact that uh, the club sizes has varied. So some of them have been small, some of them have been mid-sized, and I don't know what the largest club they played in has been. But uh, obviously they don't they don't go out and book the big theaters uh, or or the the big places this tour. They start building and. Uh, I got the impression they're out there building an audience. They're not out there crawling through to get the last, you know, squeeze out of the stone. They're really starting and building on something for the future. So uh, it's been very encouraging from that point of view to see them go out the way they do and being willing to play even the small places where 
obviously it's sold out. And the bigger places where it's uh, nearly sold out or even sometimes sold out. So uh, it's been encouraging to see. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, too, as far as them building an audience. It's it's, it's odd for me. It's It's kind of like that's exactly what it seems like to me. They almost seem like a young band out on the road just – touring and building a following the way it was done back in the old days you know back in the 80s and really the way that they did it when they started big country i mean they are we're going to play a special interview for you guys later in the show that i was able to conduct with bruce and jamie when they were here in leesburg and one of the things they talk about is that they're playing in a lot of places that people would consider out of the way or or not your typical places to play as well as the big places like new york and that kind of thing but they're also playing in places like leesburg here which uh is close to washington dc but sort of uh, out of the way and and other such similar places and bruce talks about how people have asked him that why are you playing here and he says well this is when he was here i remember him saying this is real america the we like playing in places like this that are real american towns and and out of the way types of places and the people seem to really appreciate it and they're coming right. from they're coming from long distances to see them and uh yeah it's great it it, re- it reminds me of 93 on the buffalo skinners tour because when i found found out about that show um that i saw which was in washington dc in georgetown i remember thinking how many people are going to be at this show i wonder if there's going to be my, my biggest fear was that there were going to be maybe 20 people at the show because again this was pre-internet days and and i didn't really know that many other big country fans and i didn't most people i knew who knew who big country was thought they had since broken up so i didn't know what to expect and and yet i went to that show at the bayou on halloween night and it was jam-packed and i was so happy and it seems like it's a similar thing here i I really was wondering what kind of turnout they would get especially as we said them being gone for so long but They've really been getting a very good turnout, and it, it really makes me uh, makes me happy to to see that people still are holding that, keeping that flame lit, and keeping the big country flame going. Yeah, you you gotta wonder how many of them remember the band from back in the day and say, "Oh, big country, it's been a while, let's yeah. give it a shot." And um, coming to the shows and being sort of bombarded by new material because they're playing quite a bit of new material, which is yeah. really really the thing in terms of building something and it, not just being a legacy act. They're really pushing the new material, which I think is great. And uh, it comes across great. And they get a fantastic reaction, which I'm sure you can say, having actually attended a show, that uh, it, there's no dead points in the show when they play new stuff. No. It's pretty much go all the time. So that's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. And that kind of gets back to the to the whole thing about them seeming like a young band building an audience again, too, because they really are playing the heck out of that new album. And mm-hmm. um, they're basically doing the same thing they've done in the UK. They're They're alternating new song with old song and um they're, they're alternating new songs with songs from the crossing yeah yeah basically you're right the occasional song uh, well they are playing your favorite look away uh, no. they, they, they dusted that off and are playing that um it's a shock but i think yeah they, i think they probably did that just for you i'm deeply honored <laughs> And of, and of course, there is the occasional Restless Natives thrown in, which I was that, that if I had one disappointment about the uh, Leesburg show was that I didn't get to hear that song. I, w- I would have loved to have heard that, but we've all we've uh, all got a I wish they played that type of. Uh, I, I, I don't think you're allowed to complain about the Leesburg show. <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess you're right. You know, I can't complain about anything really of that day. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, as, as some of you, as most of you might know, and I don't know how many, but if you listen to the show regularly, you probably know I had the opportunity to open for Big Country when they played here at the Tally Ho in Leesburg. And that was enough right there. But I, I think the, the phrase embarrassment of riches comes to mind because that whole day was just like uh, it was it was such a surreal experience and it was an amazing experience. And um, I have to come with a quote right now from one of our Facebook guys. Yeah. Uh, Les Schreiber was one of the guys who traveled to Leesburg for the show and we got on the fly updates through the day. So myself being here in Norway and all other people around the world <laughs> kind of saying what's going to happen out there. <laughs> and he sent the report saying, I parked my car in a small garage in downtown Leesburg, came out next to the theater and there was Jamie sitting on a bench. <laughs> then Bruce came by, just finished having a 45 minute chat with Mark on a bench on the street across from the tally hole as Tom Kershaw pulled up in his car. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of having this image of the band parked in benches around the tally hole and some guy slowly driving by in his car stalking the area <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, it was nice so as he said totally unexpected but a fun afternoon and uh that's great yeah it was uh, so apparently um i asked about this i made fun that they're all sitting around on benches all over leesburg just waiting for the show to happen because <laughs> that, that shows how much there is to do in leesburg uh, but uh as it happens i found out there's a lot of benches just around the theater yes. and uh yeah, so obviously Mike was not there that day. He drove um, into D.C. to work on his charity. He came back in time for the show. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I understand you got a chance to meet with all the rest of them. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I don't want to talk about it, like every little thing because I don't want it to sound ridiculous. But there are some really cool moments that I had with them that I think people would enjoy hearing about. And um, I live literally like five minutes from the from the venue, so I put it out there a little to the, the guys like, if, hey, if you need to use my house for anything, feel free. Well, I heard from Bruce that maybe a couple of them would, would take me up on that offer. So I went to meet them when their tour bus arrived. And I went to the venue and saw the tour bus there. And I was expecting to, to see him. But I, I saw Jamie, just like Les said, sitting on a bench and uh, no one else was around. And I just went up to him and said hello, introduced myself. And he remembered who I was from the interview that we we'd done. And Man, what a what a cool guy. I mean, I've heard these reports a lot from people who have met the band and, and especially Jamie, but um, it's it's completely true. I mean, just totally genuine, totally friendly. Um, and traveling long distances by bus is not the easiest thing in the world. Of course, he's a lot younger than the other guys and a lot younger than me, but um, I'm sure it's it's a lot harder when you're when you're older. But it's it's probably a big adventure for him too, but still, it's it's a tiring thing. So they just pulled into town, and he couldn't have been more friendly, more open, more nice. And we had a great conversation about what they've been doing and and where they had been. So then I get a text from Bruce saying we are at a place called Fireworks Pizza, which is a pizza place that uh, I frequent quite a bit. It's really good pizza. So I went up there to meet him, and he's up there with Derek Forbes, and they're sitting at a bar of this pizza place just chowing down on pizza. And <laughs> it was great. I was like, you know, this is a place that I've taken my family to. And, and uh, so I came up behind Bruce and tapped him on the back and said, hey. And he turned around and, 
uh, we started to talk and it was great. And one of the things they wanted me to do, which was kind of funny, was take them to a music store. There's, there happened to be a music store nearby in Leesburg. And the odd thing is, is that one of the guys that works there at the music store, I had been in there earlier in the week to kind of get some of my own guitar stuff worked out because I hadn't played a live show in a while. And it turns out that one of the guys who worked behind the counter is also a music critic and was going to be reviewing the big country show. So um, he said, hey, you know, if they come into town, bring them in here. I'd like to meet them. So it, it actually worked out that that happened. They wanted to get some new equipment and get some stuff to repair uh, one of Bruce's guitars that had been broken. So I actually drove Bruce and Derek to this uh, small little cool little music store called Melody Music here in Leesburg. And uh, it was just fun walking around with them and and looking at all the listening to their reactions uh, with all the instruments and um, and the the really cool thing about that experience was I got to witness firsthand Bruce Watson haggle and <laughs> yeah it was great now, now in America we don't haggle so much I know that's a tradition in in various countries but in America we don't haggle so much it's usually someone tells you a price for something and you just say oh okay here's the money. Well, Bruce, I thought I thought that was the case in Scotland too. Well, apparently not. Uh, there's <laughs> there's a lot of haggling going on because when I talked to Bruce about it, he said, "Hey, I'm Scottish. What do you expect?" But um, yeah, so he was looking for a pickup, and uh, he was looking for a particular brand of pickup for his guitar. It was a single coil EMG pickup. If you if you have any interest in knowing exactly what it was, and it's something that the guys at the store really didn't have in stock anymore, but they were able to find one like sitting behind the counter somewhere and they pulled it out for him and he Bruce said, "Well, how much is that?" And the guy said, "Uh, well, this about $45 for this." <laughs> and it was so funny because Bruce said he got this look on his face kind of like, "Oh," and he said, "I think I've spent too much of my uh per diems already this week. That seems a little steep." Um <laughs> and the the guy behind the counter was sort of taken aback. He was like, "Is this guy haggling with me?" And but it worked. It was great. He he haggled him down to like thirty five dollars for the pickup. So he saved ten bucks on it. And as we were leaving, I said, uh, Bruce, that was awesome to watch you haggle. I I'd never I've never seen that um, done so well. And it, it made me think that I should try that more often because I usually just pay whatever <laughs> price they're offering. And that's when he said, Hey, I'm Scottish. I haggle. Hey guys, this is uh, Sean from Boston. Uh, I'm a little horse. Because I just uh, got back from New York City <clears throat> and uh, attended the show at Gramercy Theater. Um, and I'm just responding to your guys' request on Facebook uh, about some thoughts on the, on the show. And I'm kind of trying, trying to do this while it's fresh and before my week gets started. So forgive me for my, uh, my, my voice, but uh, I was going out of my mind last night. The show is absolutely brilliant. I've never got a chance to see the group um, Although I've been a fan for you know going on thirty years, and I was really impressed with um, just how much the band was seemed to be enjoying themselves. Not to mention the fact that you know the set list was fantastic, um, really really polished uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the intro to Home and the Brave was was totally cool and well done by Derek, and was one of my highlights uh, on a night that there was many highlights. Um, and I was really impressed with the fact that there was a, a really good crowd. Um, I mean, the place was jam-packed. It was you know, a small place, maybe a 1,000 people, I'm not really sure. Um, but the weather was horrible. 
in New York City yesterday. So that really uh, speaks to the dedication of, of the big country fans. But anyway, fantastic show. I would not hesitate to see them again. Uh, but if I ever do see them again and while they're here, I'm definitely going to bring earplugs because there's definitely something wrong with the mix. Um, I didn't really notice the drums being really high in the mix, but uh, definitely uh, Mike's vocals. Uh, to the point where, even though he sounded fantastic, it, it, it just the noise itself was painful on my ears. And um, as a matter of fact, my uh, ears are still ringing some uh, 12, 13 hours later. But anyway, um, super psyched I finally got to see him. Um, I'm hoping to see him again. I'm not sure where. I'd love them to add a date in Boston. I'm rambling on and on. Um, um, but anyway, here you go, guys. Uh, enjoy the podcast. Take care. Stay alive. Choose. The cool thing for me was when I got to do a sound check and um, I, I played Flame of the West for the sound check. And after I was finished, I played probably like three quarters of the song. And after I was finished, I walked off the stage and Mark Brzecki came up to me and he was like, you did something there that that was you did something on the guitar. I was like, and he, I said, yeah. And he said, that's not on the album. And he pointed a finger at me. <laughs> and I, just, I thought, huh, is he like mad that it, that I was playing it differently than the album? And I, I said, well, yeah. I, I said, I was just trying to play it kind of like a Old West, give it an Old West type of feel with some some of that strumming. And, and he said, no, I liked it. I liked it. It was very percussive. So, <laughs> so I thought, wow, if Mark Brzecki gives me a, a compliment for something that's related to being percussive that's pretty pretty cool so that that made my uh made my day uh, at least up to that point um, oh, that's great yeah so you know i know i'm droning on and on here about everything but uh the one other thing i do want to say about it is i just want to i want to thank everyone out there because um some of you might be aware that i had this problem about a week before the show where i, I completely lost my voice I mean, it was just like a, a croaking voice, and there's no way in the world that I could have sung um, like a week before, a week and a half before that show. I don't know if it was a, a virus, if it was allergies or what, but couldn't figure it out. Um, so I was really, really concerned about that, about it happening because it was getting better at a very slow pace. And I sort of posted about that on some of the boards, and uh, a lot of you people were really kind and, and offered me a lot of encouragement and support, and it meant a lot, and I really appreciate it. And I went to a, a doc, one doctor, and things weren't really getting better. And then I went to my regular doctor, who it was harder to get an appointment with, but I made an appointment with him, and he actually gave me steroids to take <laughs> to fix my throat. And this was about three days before the show, and and it worked. I mean, um, it my throat was not completely back to normal uh, when I did the show, but it was, it was probably maybe like 80, 85%. Some of the songs I could sing with no problems. Some of the songs later I had some issues with, but, uh, yeah. So I was, so Dr. Nagel here in Leesburg, I have to give a special shout out to him. He, he gave me, he gave me steroids and I thought I would either do a good performance or I would go into some kind of insane rage and just destroy the entire theater. Like some kind of, uh, we call it roid rage here in America. But luckily, that would have been awesome. That would have been very cool. But <laughs> luckily, that didn't happen. Or maybe I could have done both, like finished the performance and then gone into a rage and just destroyed the entire stage. Yeah, Keith Moon, go home. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Ex yeah, exactly. Shit! 
Hey, Tom, it's fine. It's Arlen. Great to talk to you guys after seeing my first Big Country Live shows in over 20 years. Uh, caught the Asbury Park and Leesburg shows, and just a couple thoughts on those. First off, the band seemed really tight, like they've been playing together for years. I was very impressed with the overall quality of the musicianship. The set lists were really smart as well, the way they were constructed with the new, old, new, old. Uh, I thought it was a really smart way of bridging from the original Big Country here to Big Country Mark 2.0, and the actual way they chose the songs and sequenced them I thought was very smart. Um, the things that hit me from the band themselves were that Bruce seemed to be having a ball. He seemed to be having more fun than I ever remembered him having on stage in the earlier years. And I think part of that was because of his son, Jamie, playing right next to him, who really surprised me with his musicianship. Um, very tricky and inter intricate parts that he was playing. It's, uh, he's sort of the secret weapon of the band. Uh, Mike's vocals finally won me over. He's, I mean, he is just an amazingly passionate force of nature. and. Uh, I thought his voice sounded absolutely terrific on uh, After the Flood and Strong. Uh, I don't know how he can possibly keep that up across an entire lengthy tour, but um, uh, great voice. And Derek also surprised me. I was standing right in front of him for for both shows, and his style, the way he does sort of the um, over-processed electronic style uh, of bass playing, Took a minute to get used to, but his musicianship is absolutely outstanding. He played some really wicked parts, not just on Home of the Brave, but throughout. I, I would say that my favorite overall songs were Home of the Brave and Last Ship Sales, but I just uh, enjoyed it from start to finish. And of course, Mark, even though he was on the um, smaller kit, was still playing with all eight arms. Last thing, so I was standing next to you, Tom, when you got pulled on stage by Mike, and I have to say that was one of the most fun things I've ever seen at a concert. You know, I know that you were the one who actually got to play with him, but the rest of us, it was all like the whole crowd was up there with you. Uh, it was absolutely terrific, and I thought you did a great job. And along those lines, it was really great to finally meet some of the folks that I've been knowing sort of online for the last 20 years, like yourself and Joni and John Gavea and Christian Jennings and, and other folks that I hadn't ever gotten actually a chance to meet in the flesh, and that was one of the most fun things, I think, of all. So looking to see on the rest of the tour what other shows I can hit, and uh, hopefully we'll all get a chance to talk soon. Thanks again, guys. In addition to the compliment from Mark, uh, Mike also mentioned your performance in his blog, and I thought I would just read quickly uh, some of that. Uh, he was in Washington that morning, so he, uh, as he put it, he so enjoyed listening to the radio on the way in that he put on the Steel Town album on, for the drive back to Leesburg. Uh, and as he wrote, it sounded contemporary to me, or at least the songs did, and I was again reminded of the power of Stuart Adamson and the lyrics he wrote. As fate would have it, and unbeknownst to me, Tom Kercheval, who was the opening act, played some of those very same songs on his acoustic guitar. Flame of the West, which sounded like something Neil Young could write today, and A Great Divide, which is such a good song when stripped to the bone. It was an insightful listening to him after hearing the album afresh in the afternoon. And then he continues, and this takes us into the climax of the evening. Uh, with food for thinking and inspiration from all that's happening around us, we absolutely rocked in Leesburg tonight. I saw TK down the front and couldn't resist pulling him up to play on chance. It was a dream come true for Tom and a recognition of sort for the dedication displayed by the likes of him and many others who have kept the Big Country flame burning for so long. <laughs> Big Country will always be eternally grateful. And I guess you'll be grateful too. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, and here again, we have the embarrassment of riches phrase. I mean, like I said, just opening for the band was enough. But then to be invited up on stage to play with them. Yeah, I was not expecting it. I was down in the front 
um, near Arlen Bartels, who I was able to meet at the show among amongst uh, along with some other people who listened to the podcast. It was great to meet you, Arlen, and others. And we were just sitting there watching, and it was, at, it was I think it was after the song "Strong," and Mike said something like, uh, "There's a local here who's done a lot to make this gig happen." And first of all, I just want to clarify that I did nothing to make that gig happen, <laughs> so I'm not sure where he got that from. Now, the only thing I will say is that there was an there was an article that was written about me shortly before the show, like a week or so before the show, in the local Leesburg paper. And I have to thank Jeroen from the Netherlands for that article because um, Jeroen is a longtime friend of ours, and he actually took it upon himself to contact my local newspaper and say, hey, there's a guy who's going to be opening for his favorite band of all time at the Tallyho Theater, Big Country. It's like a dream come true for him. It's really cool, et cetera, et cetera. You might want to consider writing a story about him. So they, they actually called me and, and interviewed me and wrote a story. And so I guess that helped promote the show a little bit locally here. But I did nothing you know, to make the gig happen. I basically just called up the theater and, and, and tried to get a support slot for myself, which worked out. But anyway, so Mike says – Here's a guy who's who's done a lot to make this gig happen, and we want to bring him up on stage, and he's looking down at me, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding. And Tom Kirchival, so he pulls me up on stage and gives me his guitar. And another thing about I got to say that was amazing to me is you know how he writes something different on his guitar every for every show. Well, when the band came out on stage, I was looking his at his guitar, and on his guitar it said the Dissidents. And underneath it, it's actually it said the dissidents rock. And underneath it, it said where the rose is sown. Well, my old band that I used to have um, was called the Dissidents. And my favorite big country song that got me, well, it's not my, necessarily my favorite, but it's the one that really got me into the band, is where the rose is sown. And both of those facts were printed in that article. Well, I later found out that that this was Bruce Watson's idea to to write that on on Mark's guitar, or um, excuse me, on Mike's guitar, but. Again, that that was almost enough. I was actually there with one of my old bandmates, and I pointed to the guitar, and I said, do you see that, what that says on the guitar? It says the dissonance rock. Could that possibly be our dissonance? And sure enough, it was. So, I mean, for, for a guy who used to play in a band where we played big country songs and alarm songs, um, a band that never made it, you know, but played those songs and played our own stuff, to actually see this band giving some sort of recognition to us um it was incredible and it, it was so moving and touching and what what band would do that for their fans uh, you know it, it was such a selfless thing to do and such a gracious thing to do so then you know that was enough and then he calls me up on stage and so it was for chance and uh luckily i knew the song now i there were a couple parts in the bridge section that I wasn't totally sure about, but I sort of faked my way through it. But the thing that I remember the most about that moment is uh, when Mike gave me his guitar, his guitar, and he's he's about the same height as me. We're, we're both like 5'10", 5'11", so we're not very tall guys, but his guitar hung all the way down to my knee. I could like barely play it. I was like, how do you play this thing so low? So I had to I had to prop his guitar up with my one leg and kind of stand there and and then he gave me his pick and I remember him saying is that okay you know he's still thinking about someone else I was yeah that's great I don't care you know I'll, I'll play it as best I can so um you know they launched into chance and uh, I started playing along with them and at one point 
Mike came around behind me and put his arms on my, uh, put his hands on my shoulders. And I turned around to him and I just said, thank you. And if you look at, there's a video of this up on YouTube. You can hear, you can see me mouthing that to him. I say, thank you. And, and true to form, he said, he said, no, you deserve this a lot more than me. And, you know, that's, that statement is so ridiculous. Uh, yeah. You know, you anyway. got to excuse me, but I agree with that ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's completely ridiculous. But I mean, you know, I, I certainly, <laughs> it's, it's just ridiculous. Let's just leave it at that. But just the fact that he would say that, I mean, it just shows how egoless he is. I mean, yeah. He's, he's not a guy who craves the, the spotlight for his own look how great I am type of thing. I mean, he's more than willing to share everything. And, and he wanted to make me feel really special and, and feel like I was a part of the band for that brief moment. And, and, it, and it, I did, you know, it was, there were so many moments in that, during that song that I just felt that were just so great. It was like a dream. It really was. It was like a dream standing up there and looking out into the crowd. And then at one point I was playing and I turned around and looked back at Mark Brzecki and he, gave me this big smile like yeah you're doing great and that that was incredible and then i went over to bruce a couple times and we kind of did the whole guitar thing back and forth and um the funny thing was that you'll probably get a kick out of is that uh during the during the um quiet portion of the song where the crowd is crowd audience response is going i i refuse to stop playing <laughs> I, kept, <Good. laughs> I just kept playing i i I, I kind of muted the strings, but I, I even like went up into doing like little solo stuff at one point. <laughs> like, I, was probably, I was probably I watched that now. I was like, oh, maybe I was going a little too far there, but anything to stop the one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But 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 if you think about it, it this goes back to uh, something that Stuart said at the very beginning that they wanted to erase the border between audience and band. Yeah, and they wanted to achieve the sameness and. This falls straight into that. They never went away from that. Uh, no matter how they might have changed musically, no matter what else was going on, they were always that type of band. And uh, they kind of, like Mike wrote it in his blog, he dedicated that. You know, this was an act not just to you, but on for any fans who did anything to keep the big country flame burning. Yeah. So it's very, very touching. It was. Very touching. This is Jeremy from Michigan with a few thoughts on the live shows in Westchester and Leesburg. It was fantastic to see the band. I've been a fan since 1986 when I saw Look Away on MTV. I thought I would never get the chance to see them live, so this is literally a dream come true. The venues were small, maybe 150 to 200 people at Westchester and around 300 at Leesburg. On the one hand, it was perfect to be a few feet from the stage to shake hands and get pictures with the band and to be able to actually talk with them. On the other hand, I feel like they should have been playing to a sold-out arena and I worry that if this tour isn't financially successful they won't come back to the US. I was able to take my eight-year-old daughter to the show in Leesburg and it was awesome to see her bouncing up and down, smiling ear to ear and singing along. Lastly, it was deeply gratifying to me to see the band recognize Tom I'm not a very musical person, I don't have a musical ear, but I feel like Tom, through his comments on the email list and on the podcasts, listens to the music in a way that I wish I could, and he and Svein say things I didn't know I wanted to say. So I saw Tom's involvement in Tuesday night's show as the band reaching out to all of us fans. 
I wouldn't have wanted to be up on the stage myself, not because of stage fright, but because I couldn't have been involved in a meaningful way. But Tom's participation, both as the opening act and on chance, was deeply meaningful and not just to him. Thanks, Tom. What you gave, you gave for us all. It was a fantastic moment for me personally. It was something I'll never, ever forget. Um, thanks so much to to John Guvea for actually filming it and for another friend of mine, Nick, who shot it too on my own video camera so I can remember it that way. But it, it wasn't really just me. It was it was kind of the band paying tribute to all of the big country fans who have been so tireless over the years, just keeping the flag waving and and uh, staying loyal to big country and and um they're kind of just saying, hey, we, res- we respect what you guys do. We appreciate you. And here's one of your own. He's up here playing, and he maybe represents all of you guys. And that's kind of how I felt. And, you know, I was honored to, to do that. And then I was off the stage and, and uh, back down in front with everyone else. And my friends were patting me on the back. And, and by the way, I had some friends come who really were coming just to support me and who really weren't that familiar with anything Big Country had done you know, post early eighties and they didn't even know that Mike Peters was fronting the band. And when they found that out, they were really excited because they were big alarm fans back in the day too. And, um, Mm. and anyway, after the show ended, they were just, they couldn't believe how great big country was. And they kept talking about how great they were. And as I said, they had come basically just to support me and just to see big country as kind of an afterthought. But it turned out that, Big Country just totally won them over. In fact, the next day, one of those friends said he bought the new album and it was awesome and he was listening to it. So it was a magical moment being up on stage, a magical day, a magical evening. And uh, gosh, I I just can't put it into words. It was incredible. Sing. No, they fell behind. 
obviously been more things happening on this tour than uh, the Kerchival experience. And uh, we have a couple of tales that we just need to get into. And one of them will be the tale of the podcast shirt. Uh, this uh, this is a story, the story of Corey Crowley, basically, one of our listeners from Seattle, who planned something special ahead of that show in order to get in contact with other people on the Facebook group and other podcasters, as he put it. So he took it upon himself to create a Got Podcast t-shirt and took that to the show with the plan for the band to sign the front and other fans to sign the back. And uh, what can we say? The plan worked. He posted <laughs> the pictures on the Facebook group and he had all the band members on the front, uh, all five of them, and more people than I thought he would to, to sign the back. I think he must have had short of 20 fans, I think, on the back or thereabouts, <laughs> which is pretty good. And uh, it's a very neat idea and obviously a big compliment to, to us. So thank you very much for that, Cora. Yeah, and, fantastic. Uh, I, I guess we'll just let him tell of the experience himself. To quote the late great Stuart Adams, and everybody's got a tale to tell. I'm Corey Crowley, in case you're wondering how to say my name. Like many others, it's been anglicized, and only Scandinavians like swine can really pronounce it properly. So I don't do the same to others. Anyone will be by first name only. My tale really parallels Tom's. The Friday night videos, never hearing much about them, early fans falling away, hearing them be called a one-hit wonder, feeling like their only fan in the world, especially here in the States, and having to explain they are not country music. I was fortunate enough to get win-only tickets to the radio gig they played in Seattle during the Buffalo Skinners tour in November of 93. They were special guests, and until they came on stage, I never knew they were here. Of course, this show will always have a special place since it was the first and only time I saw Stuart and Tony in the band. Several years later, I finally discovered the Big Country email list and that there were other Big Country fans in the world, and even here in America. I used Robert Steele town site as a roadmap to build my collection, and now I look at John's Big Country info to find out what's new. Here's the story of the God Podcast t-shirt. On the email list, Jeremy mentioned that he was going to take a big sign that said Big Country email list. So I thought I'll take one that says God Podcast. Then I thought of all the times I didn't take a sign to the sports game because I didn't want to feel stupid carrying it around the whole time. And that's how the God Podcast t-shirt came about. It was only a thought until I posted the idea. Many thanks, Kathy. I thought those t-shirt shops in the 80s had become extinct, but in suburbia USA, they still exist. And two days before the show, for less than $20 in 10 minutes, the shirt was a real thing. Each band member signed it willingly, and Jamie knew right away it meant the Great Divide podcast. Some fans didn't, weren't so sure about signing it, but I said I'm proving that I'm not the only big country fan in the world. Now about the show. It was record-breaking temperatures for that day in Seattle, and the venue had no AC, which prevented my wife from going and possibly becoming a new Big Country fan. With the heat and the traffic delays for the band, quite a few of us stayed outside, sharing our own Big Country tales, and literally waited for the bus. Each band member willingly signed autographs, posed for pictures, and talked to the fans. It became more like a fan gathering, with the band members dropping by. This made the the show special in its own way. The club was a small little dive, and even though we'd love to see them fill arenas, being in that small club and personally connecting with the fans really made the show worth the 20-year wait. The show was really the best I'd ever been to. Finally being able to be a part of the fans singing chants in a big country and fields of fire were some of the greatest moments 
of being a big country fan I've ever experienced. I even sent a message to Sandra Watson thanking her for sharing Bruce and Jamie with us here in the States, since she misses them a great deal. Big Country's lyrics and of the sea, ships and sailors, and even fishermen have had special meaning for me. As in Kiss the Girl Goodbye, I've been a fisherman, brother, married man, and mother's son all at the same time. Since I'm an ocean liner enthusiast, Big Country fan, and recent Doctor Who convert, my wife has agreed to a trip to the UK in the next few years, planned around at least one Big Country show. I'll be there with multiple Sharpies and God Podcast shirt number two. Until then, stay alive, fellow podcasters. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, Cora. Thank you so much for doing that. That that's <laughs> that's just really cool. That kind of blew my mind when I saw that, and uh, it made me feel really really good that uh, somebody's out there promoting the podcast of their own free will without any prompting from us. And uh, yeah, now he did say that some of the signatures uh, were not necessarily podcast listeners, but the, a lot of them were. But some of them were just big country fans, and he and he told them about the podcast. So, yeah, so hopefully they will become podcast listeners. It, exactly. Hopefully by now they are. Let's hope so. Yeah, so uh, in, in that vein, I, I guess we can share the story uh, of – of uh, the last month's growth it's it's really been amazing uh i told tom before we started recording this episode that i don't know what's happened the last just two weeks uh, the last two weeks we got 50 or so new members to our facebook page which sounds like you know woo, 50 people what's the big deal it's a big deal for us so we're at 350 now and 50 of those came the last two weeks so uh, what's been going on because we've done nothing I mean, we haven't been out there. We've been busy. Uh, so the only thing I can think of is uh, people must have been talking whilst on this tour. And word must have just spread word of mouth. So that's thanks to people like Cora. That's thanks to all the rest of you who tell other people about the podcast and keep it uh, spreading. Uh, I think three uh, episodes ago, uh, we mentioned we had 24,000 downloads at that point. Uh, today we have close to 35,000. Wow. So that's just since the last three episodes, and that's that's pretty awesome. So uh, part of what Corda does and all the rest of you have been doing uh, it really helps, and that's when we realize we got to sort of kick ourselves and get going with more episodes. So th- that that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. So thanks, guys. I mean, we... We don't want to get into the whole look how many shows people have downloaded thing thing because I hate that with other podcasts when they when they spend like 20 minutes talking about that. But we we've, we've got to mention it at least briefly here because we have really grown over the last uh, over the break that we've taken. So as you said earlier, maybe we should take breaks more often. Yeah. Although, although maybe not. I don't know. Shut up! Okay. So one of the other cool things that I was able to do with with, uh, with part of the band when they were here in Leesburg is um. Bruce and Jamie had them over at my home. Actually, gave Bruce. I have to share this really briefly because it's it's also very cool to me. But um, Bruce was looking for another kind of pickup for his guitar. He got the one at the music store that I mentioned earlier, and now he was looking for what's called a humbucker EMG pickup. Well, I just happened to have one in an old guitar that I used to play in the band, The Dissidents. So I told him that he could have it, and he came over to the house. I ripped it out of the guitar and gave it to him. So. If you see him playing that red uh, Fender Squire, it's like a Stratocaster type of guitar, that that double pickup in the uh, in the neck or the double pickup in the body is my old pickup, and it makes me so happy that 
that old guitar that I used to play, which has been too beat up to play lately. I need a lot of work done to it, but it, it makes me so happy that a piece of that is now actually in a big country guitar and having big country music played through it. It's just awesome. So anyway, that's one little thing. But the other cool thing is that Bruce and Jamie sat down with me for an interview. And um, they didn't have much time. They had a lot of stuff going on. But they sat down for about 20, 25 minutes. And I, I know you guys have submit, had submitted a lot of questions when I posted the uh, the possibility of this happening. I couldn't get to all of them, but I got to as many as I could off the top of my head because it was kind of a situation where they said, okay, we have time. Let's sit down and do an interview. So I wasn't able to go back and, and look at those questions. But we asked a lot of good stuff, and why don't we play it right now? Shut up! Let me slip into my interviewer mode. Zoom. Okay, so what show is this for you guys in America right now? Is it, it the fourth, the fifth? Nope. It's the, I think it's the sixth or the seventh. Oh, is it that many? Okay, yeah. Yeah, we did two, when we flew across, we did uh, two shows. We did a matinee kind of um, radio station thing. Okay. And then we went right out and did the show at night time, so it's been hectic. We had our first day off yesterday. Wow. So how has how's it been going so far? I mean, like, has it been... Has yeah, it's been great. We sold out New York, so that was a great surprise, especially it being my first time in America. So to get told you're yeah. playing New York City, and then next thing you turn up, get off the bus, and it's like, hey, guys, you've sold out tonight. You know? So that, that was always good. <laughs> That's fantastic. That was a Gramercy, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Was that a good venue? Fantastic. It's a great venue, yeah. Definitely. See, I was going to come there... If, if you guys hadn't, if it hadn't turned out that you played at Tally Hall, I was going to go right, to right. New York to see you, but so oh, that was all for me. All but. the venues oh, cool. have been great, and I mean, we were in Westchester the other night, and then we were in Long Island, and we're playing places that we've never played before, or places a bit off the beaten track, and people are saying, oh, you know, why are you playing here? No, no one plays here, and it's like, well, that's why we're here, you know, because <laughs> people are coming out in their droves to come and see us, and you're playing in these funky towns that are just off the beaten track and we, we did Asbury Park again and obviously 20 years ago we did the Stone Pony and we were at the Wonder Bar just down the street Oh yeah. Um, and it was just great getting out onto the boardwalk and you know just taking in the sights again yeah, Bruce Springsteen's yes. church, right? Yeah. I saw I saw some pictures of that show with the, with that crazy hideous face on the stage. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was that was that distracting at all? It's synonymous with the building, you know, you go and you see the same the same face, you know. And we went onto the beach and they've got the Asbury Park kind of logo on the beach, like the same as the the album sleeve and all that kind of stuff. I think John yeah. told me that thing even had a name, like Tilly or something like Possibly, that. Possibly, I don't know what it is. But it's just it's a great vibe. Oh, that's great. So not a big massive guitar as well, you see, when you were coming in. Oh yeah, that oh, was really? oh, yeah, okay. that was the, the Springsteen's guitar on the, the um, oh, whatever whatever street it was on. <laughs> I'm sure Springsteen knows East what street. street is. East Street. <laughs> East Street, yeah. <laughs> All right, so a, a bunch of people, because I told them that maybe I'd get a chance to talk to you guys, I wasn't sure, but I, I said, if you got any questions for the band, throw them my way and I'll see what I can do, so... I'm just kind of going by memory here, but I know one of the one of the big questions was, um, when are you going to do? When are you going to start working on the next album? <laughs> okay, we started all. We started work on the next the album already, kind of. Yeah. Um, there's a few musical ideas that have been kicking about when we we got the UK tour out of the way, and then we had a couple of days off, and we went out to Europe, and we've started 
just guitar ideas, guitar riffs, drum ideas, bass ideas and stuff like that. So we're kind of, we, we sit on the bus and at odd times I'll say to Jamie, get the mobile phone out and yeah. film me playing this guitar sh- sequence, you know, and just so I can remember it. Oh, that's cool. So you actually film it? You usually just film it, film, yeah. film the hand positions on the neck so you can remember what you played. That's a good idea, actually. So we're going to stock up some ideas and see what happens, but um, it, would, it would be nice to record another album again but we've got three months on the road here and then I think we've got a few weeks off back home and I think Michael probably doing stuff for the alarm or Love Hope Strength and then we go back in another UK tour um, October, November Yeah, it's from the highest highest point in Scotland to the lowest point in Scotland we're going to be doing so. Lowest point in England oh, Lowest point in England, sorry sorry, all you English fans out there Lands <laughs> end to Johnny Groats yes. will be out there soon yeah. See you there guys So when, when is when is the end of the, the journey tour? Is there a foreseeable end to it? or is it? Yeah, I think the end of the journey tour will come after these dates um, in September, October, November um, and we're talking about doing something for Steel Town next yeah, year that was one of my next questions <laughs> but doing what I don't know I mean performing it in its entirety no oh, <laughs> you trying to catch a whale <laughs> are you mad I'll tell you what we'll do if you come along and play guitar because we'll need another guitarist yeah. too. I would do that I think there's I think we, we could do it it would take a long, an awful long time to do it but um, I think in the past it was only about seven songs that we actually played off the album. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I mean, we had to do like Tall Ships Go and stuff like that, you know, but there's no point doing Girl with Grey Eyes, for instance, you know. it's um, And also, you can, if you did it in this entirety, it's like, well, what else do you play around about it? You've got right. to, you've still got to have the new songs as well as the old songs. Yes. Yeah. But no, I think. Um, we're talking with the label just now, Universal, and it was their suggestion they wanted to put out a Steel Town anniversary record. So we're kind of in talks with them just now about doing something, but at the moment we're not sure it's yeah. too far away. Okay. Well, that kind of brings me into another question a lot of people had, and I don't know how much you can talk about this or you know, mm-hmm. want to, so if you don't, okay. feel free. But people were confused about, like, a lot of the older catalogue has disappeared. From uh-huh. iTunes and that kind of thing. I know that's something to do with track records and what's right. happened with that as far as, for example, like getting the old rarities CDs. Like they're I, I have not got a clue. Okay. Honest, I mean, if I knew, I would talk about it. But yeah. Unless it's some... No, I don't even know yeah. why it's disappeared. Yeah, it's like a bunch of people... Like all those rarities releases that you guys have put out, right. I think there, there were nine of them maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think any of them are available anymore. Possibly. On iTunes. Possibly because they were on track records. I don't know. <laughs> okay, no, no problem. So, some people were wondering um, why no Steel Town songs on the set list for this tour. Okay. And it's just because we're trying to promote the journey yeah. and trying to do the journey songs and some of the hits as well. It would be quite a task. Plus, um, we were lucky enough to get Derek Forbes in, as you well know, from the Simple Minds, because uh, Tony sadly retired from the band so Derek's only been in the band since New Year time so it was trying to get rehearsals record an album and get all this stuff together which we've managed to would probably be a bit of a longer process uh, I mean basically Derek hasn't learnt any of the songs yeah. from Steel Town because when he came on board apart from the fact 
well, he knew obviously the new the twelve new songs, but Derek's had to learn all Tony's bass lines for like all your Wonderlands and then about countries and fields and all, all that kind of stuff, which has been time consuming. And he's because we've done the album, he's had to learn it on the fly with his headphones at any opportune moment he's got. Right. So basically, it's a logistical sort of yeah. time constraint. He's yeah. just Derek's now the time to learn it. Yeah, but we will do it though. That makes perfect sense. In fact, he, he, the only one he knows from Steel Town is Just a Shadow. Oh, wow. I think he's got as far as that. Okay. But, you the, know, you, can, you just you, you can't do everything. And also, The Crossing is the most, it's the album everyone knows. And then you've got your hit singles like Look Away. And those are the, you have to play them. I mean, we love playing them anyway, you know. But, it's only the purists that will go, well, why aren't you doing, <laughs> you know, that obscure B-side? <laughs> and it's, well, it's because it's an obscure B-side, and only you like it, you know? Why aren't you <laughs> opening with Flag of Nations? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's basically, you can't do everything. And also, not so much in America, but in the UK and in Germany, there's a curfew, a strict curfew. Yeah. You've got to be finished at 10 o'clock for the nightclub to start so the disco freaks can come in. Ah, oh, wow. And if you go over that curfew, you get fined. So you have to work out a set. We change the set every night. And it's always in a two hour or an hour and 45 minute window that we can work. <coughs> and if you go over that, if there's a problem on stage, something's happened, yeah. you lose a song, you know? Yeah. And if you go over that, the band gets fined and it's, right. you end up working for nothing. Right. So Plus you can always get lost on the bus as well on the way there, so that kind of eats into your yeah, time as well. Anything yeah. can happen out there. I've heard so. about that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nothing from Steel Town at the moment, but next year, if all goes well, there'll be a lot of Steel Town stuff. And yes, definitely I would like to work on songs that we didn't do back then. Yeah. You know, it's like rain dance. I was playing slide on it. I mean, I just cannot remember what I did. Well, just do what you did on the tube that time and leave your leave, leave your amp yeah, on. Yeah, just I'll get a lighting guy to come behind me or a camera guy to come behind me. Pull my lead <laughs> that you know, I kind of enjoyed that for a while because I thought, yeah. oh, that's what Stuart plays on that, yeah. <laughs> that song. You can hear his guitar. I looked look great though. <laughs> you did. You did. No, that's fantastic. What oh. happened there? Did they just pull? Why did they pull your plug? No, in? we were doing the, the. Have you ever seen that clip, Jamie? I don't think so. Oh, oh, I'm right. I'm sure, we can't the, wait to see we it. Did the somewhere. And I thought, <laughs> we did the first song. I can't remember what the first song was, but it was something like "Where the Roses So" and something like that. And yeah, I think that's what that was. Fine, you know, it was normal sounding. The next song, <laughs> Les gave him a Telecaster. It was set up for slides and a different tuning, so I could play rain dance and I plugged it in, and it's like nothing was coming out of my guitar, and it was like. Oh no, my guitar's broken, I'm not another broken guitar. But what it was, was the cameraman, to get better shots of the band, had went behind the amplifiers, couldn't get behind because of these cables sticking out, and he just said, oh, I'm just going to pull them out and go behind it. He pulled out the speaker cables. Oh, <laughs> God. I think he got a slap afterwards. So your poor dad is up there playing great slide, but he couldn't hear anything. Yeah, He's man. looking around. <laughs> Fantastic. It was a classic, uh, classic appearance. Oh, wow. But Jamie, let me ask you a little bit about the guitar flying um, side. I mean, you guys, uh, I've, what I've heard a lot of comments is how you guys, you and your dad have really developed this great chemistry that's really, you know, I don't, think, I don't even want to say doing the legacy crowd because that's almost diminishing. And it's like you're starting your own version of it. I mean, it just sounds, it sounds fantastic. And it's a big country 
sound going. Um, how did you how did you approach playing for Big Country? I mean, was it something that you had to kind of like adjust your style to play, or was that just a natural way that you played and you grew into it? I mean, um, it was a bit of both. So it was natural in a way for me because I've always listened to the band and things yeah. like that, or watched videos of Dad and Stuart playing. And when we were working at Harmony Bits, it was probably more harder for my dad because he had to look, chip away at some of Stuart's bits and he would just go right that's what I played so you just learn that um, and some bits vice versa like for like Where the Roses so and I'd sort of have to learn the solo bits and things like that so yeah. I'd have to sit down and listen to Stuart's like bits on the record or just watch things on YouTube things like that but it, it helped when we played in the Skids back in 2007 so I was sort of adjusting to bits like the way of Stuart's guitar playing anyway. So with a bit of our own style and a bit of copying, it's uh, worked out quite fine. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie, there's bits that I just copied completely. Yeah. But there's some songs that uh, we maybe, I'll maybe add more wee bits in here or there. And there was a guy who said to me the other night, he was quite, this was in Germany actually, he goes, yeah, I loved all the stuff you've done, but why didn't you do all the Stuart solos and things at the start? And it's like, well, because they're Stuart solos, you know, it's, I think if we done took it too far, I think that would be kind of bad in Stuart's yeah. name. Yeah. So we would, we're not here to, whatever you know, make it sound bad. We're here as individuals ourselves, but yeah. we're trying to do the best that we can. Exactly. For That's the, why I kind of gave that caveat about the legacy thing. It's like yeah. I mean, you don't want to be seen as like parading a legacy. All you want, you want to do your own thing. Yeah, so. we want to do our own thing, and plus we want to have respect for Stuart as well right. as, and the bands growing as itself as well. Yeah. It was great analysing the guitar parts because I've never had to do that before. Yeah. And obviously this is even going back to the skids when we put the skids together and having to learn all Stuart's guitar parts in the skids as well as the harmony guitars he did and as well as the synthesizer parts which we made a we, we, we combined all that kind of stuff with two guitars. And then when we to learn the big country ones I knew my parts, but some of the parts, it's because of the way they were written, it was, Stuart was singing, he would go into rhythm, or a clean rhythm sound, and then when he came off the microphone, he would go into his lead stuff, and now we'd go back to rhythm. And there's a lot of switching of sounds and stuff like that, and I thought, well, it's going to work out better if Jamie takes that batch of guitar, and I take that batch of guitar, it's like, for instance, Wonderland. In, in Restless Natives, I'll play my delayed intro, then Jamie will come in with Stuart's rhythm intro guitar, and then I'll go, I'll play Stuart's solo melody line in Restless Natives, and Jamie will play my rhythm, and then I'll play my verse part, and he'll play Stuart's verse part. <laughs> but it's not the same for every song, there's right. no formula rules, it's just whoever's on a certain Sound. Guitar sound at that time, it's like, well, that, that, you should have been stick on that sound instead of tap dancing about and foot pedals, which we always did with Big Country. Plus, it's a lot easier for the front of house guy as well. Yeah, you know? it's a lot easier. So, yeah. there was a lot of, we spent a, a lot of time analysing the two guitar parts and just seeing what worked. And then, for instance, in Fields of Fire, you've got a twin harmony guitar line that Stuart and I never even did way back it comes in after the I remember hearing that for the first time yeah. with your lineup and I was like yes that's great that you're but, we, but we never played that wasn't it from like a, one of the single versions or something it's, like, well, it's on the album it's on the single yeah but we never 
No. For some reason, we never got around to doing that. Did you never use a harmonizer or anything like that? To no, no, because no, no, you couldn't do it with a harmonizer. It work, no. no, it didn't work because it would just be they'd follow the same interval when you oh, harmonizer. Oh, yeah, right enough, yeah. That sounds pretty For some reason, we forgot to put a lot of overdubs in, uh, whether it was laziness <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, and obviously, we hadn't listened to the records in a long time, so when Jim and I went back, I'm going, you should have to stick that in, you know, because... Mike's not playing guitar, he's up doing vocals, and it's an instrumental piece anyway. Yeah. So we should learn how to do that. Yeah. And there's been a few little um, bits of music that have been left out over the years. Uh, and you do tend to forget because you never listen to your own records after yeah. you've listened to it a, a thousand times and had it mixed. It's like, you know, I ain't listened to the journey, I don't need to listen to it. Now that one's gone. Yeah. Um, Steel Town's the next one I'm going to have to, we're going to have to sit there and analyse. <laughs> yeah. Which is going to be crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but sort of not. <laughs> that is, oh my gosh. It's going to be a bit time-consuming, but... Uh, well, as, as a guitar player, you know, we, like, learned a lot of my guitar playing from listening to you guys yeah. as, a, as a kid, you know, still to this day, Stuart's stuff and your stuff uh -huh. was some of the hardest stuff for me to figure oh, out. It's, it's like, weird. what are they playing? I, I've never been able to figure out certain things, like, oh god. So, even, yeah. even on a computer nowadays, I think you can, you can sort of look at the music and you can maybe, like, I'll find out what Stuart was playing, so I'll knock out my guitar if it's on the right, and I'll just listen to Stuart on the left. But it's not like that because we built up so many guitar parts. It wasn't there's maybe Stuart's rhythms on the left, my rhythms on the right, and then what, whoever played whatever part could be anywhere in the the in the stereo spectrum. So it's like <laughs> where the roses song. That's a tough solo part. Yeah, At least I always found it that way because you the little part is is not so bad, but then it, it seems like. Fingers get so far away uh, from where they need to go back to. It's, it's great stuff. And also, depending on what guitar you're using as well, it's like <laughs> certain songs I'm going, ah, that's how that was done. We used a strap instead of a Gibson, or a Yamaha, which is a Gibson right, right. style um, <coughs> scale length, you know. So cool. there's all that as well, you know, find out maybe I should get a strap for that. And, yeah. You know? Yeah. Great. All right, just a couple more for you. Um, we'll, we'll be done. Um, I know one, one question that someone wanted me to ask you, Bruce. Um, what is the deal with the, the journey being split into three acts? Is there a is there a feel that you have for that for like each act of songs that yeah, you want to do? Kinda, that? It's kind of cool, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, I came up with that idea just because we had twelve songs, and uh, it's the it's the greatest story I've ever told is the journey home, you know, and it's. Like, you know, I just saw the whole album as like a, a movie, a soundtrack for some imaginary movie that's to be to be made yet. And I just kind of thought it'd be cool to have it in different acts, you know, you've yeah. got your, obviously your start, your middle and your end. Uh, just to give it a different feel and something else to hang on. Uh, there's no deep meaning there, but it kind of tells a story, you know. And it's not just a story about the band at this moment in time, it's a story from day one of big country to where we are now yeah. and where are, what's going to happen after, you know, no one knows. <laughs> right, right. You know. Well, what are your, what are your, um, I know you don't necessarily have any set and stone plans at this point, but like, what are your aspirations for the band going forward? I mean, besides the obvious of being successful, whatever yeah. that means to you guys, yeah. I mean, are, do you feel like a new sense of rejuvenation in the band? And, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I think obviously we're having Jamie. Uh, and, and now Derek on board as well, we've got a chemistry that works. We're not big country in the skids, any, anything like Stuart's music. 
you know, apart in the past when we brought in session drummers because Mark's been, you know, out doing stuff. Uh, we're, we're, we're not like one of those heavy rock bands from the 80s that go, well, Aussie's left, let's get Dio in or something. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that because I love those bands. Right, right. But we're not one of those bands, oh, let's just get someone out to replace. It's, it's, it's got to be the right, the right people. And if Mike had said no, then we'd have probably just not done it. Yeah. You know, and even with, with Derek, if, if it hadn't been Derek, can't think of anybody else, you know. No. But, De- but so Derek's, Derek's connected as well because when Stuart and I first did the original demos down at the townhouse with uh, John Leckie, uh, we, did, um, uh, we did Heart and Soul and we did Angle Park, Rick Buckler playing drums on, on those demos. Simple Minds were in the studio next door. And I always remember Stuart saying was, you know, maybe we should ask Derek if you come and play bass. <laughs> But I if it didn't, you know. <laughs> but it was mentioned, Stuart did mention, you know, we could Derek and come and play bass. Yeah, yeah, Stuart was too shy at the end or something, these guys said. <laughs> too shy to go and ask the big Scotsman. <laughs> well, they were off of Glasgow, the simple minds. We've had them firmly, we thought, oh, they probably came their heads in or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you have any uh, memories of Stuart, Jane? Any good memories of him? Yeah. Or um, some of your more enduring ones? When, um... I was lucky enough to be at Rockfield Studios when they were recording Driving to Damascus album and um, we went to Alton Towers and things like that which is a big theme park and um, I think you guys were out for an Indian one night and um, then Stuart's son Callum came down and stayed as well and they were playing uh, the Playstation in uh, the front living room as we call it and um, you could phone everybody's rooms there was all rooms off the big living space so we kept they prank calling them, you know, just so they would, so they got annoyed. So they decided to get paper plates and cut holes out in the eyes and made big scary masks and jumped at our window. And so it was pitch black and Callum and Stuart's giving us the fright of our lives. So I, I says to my other brother Bruce, right, you keep, you, you stall them, you keep them here. So we went and locked them out of the, of the studio. So I think, um, Stuart wasn't too happy towards the end of it, but uh, <laughs> we got them back. But that was, it was just, uh, things like that that's great you know you were still at school at that time like, I hasten to add this, this is not the adult Jamie and Bruce this is like Jamie <laughs> right. in short trousers still yes very very young chaps I think, I think he might still do it today oh, I think so <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great is that okay yeah Okay, so that's going to wrap up episode 21 of The Great Divide. We will be back next time with episode 22, which will be part two of our U.S. tour discussion. We started out expecting this would be one episode, but it's turned into two. And a lot of that is credit to you guys because we got a ton of um, speak pipe submissions with reviews from the U.S. shows. So we'll be playing the rest of those in the next episode. And if, if you didn't hear yours on this one, it will definitely be on the next one. So thanks for all those. Keep them coming. Uh, We'll give you some more topics in the days ahead. And we really appreciate them because it really makes the show even more interesting, I think. We'll also be talking about some of the big news that you heard there in the interview, which is that there is going to be a Steel Town celebration in 2014, hopefully similar to what was done with The Crossing as far as uh, a remaster or reissue of the album. We know that there really aren't any, any B-sides for that album, and there probably is not anything left that is there to be unearthed. But you never know, so it, it could be really interesting. And when I was talking to Mike Peters at the Leesburg show, he mentioned some other things that they were thinking about doing for Steel Town. So we'll talk about those in the next episode. 
And that's really about it. Thanks so much for listening. Sorry for the break again. We'll be back much quicker for the next episode. And thank you again to everyone who supported me in my adventure opening for Big Country. Really appreciate all the kind words, all the kind thoughts, even before the show. Really appreciate it. It was great. And with that in mind, one more me moment here. This is me playing Chance with Big Country at the Tally Ho Theater in Leesburg. It was a great moment for me, but you know, I remember Stuart used to always say, this is yours, before the instrumental portion in Chance when they played that live, right before they would get to the final one, two, three, four, oh Lord, chant. And uh, I hope you guys will consider that when you listen to this too, because I was up on the stage, but this is yours.
Team stay with you.